Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent out of West Alabama. They try to pick play, Al. They tried to go here, but he beats them to the punch. And I'm sorry. But I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. I can't believe the call. I can believe the call. Super Bowl champions, New England Patriots, number four, drive for five, begin next year. Let's get this show started properly, people. Welcome back to the mix. night from Southern California, Los Angeles, downtown. Hopefully, if I get this thing done in time, not this show, but some things taken care of. After the show is wrapped up, I'll be at the Academy Awards again later on tonight. Um, i got to find my camera so I can take some photos. I only took like one picture last year, but regardless, regardless, regardless. People, how y'all been? It's been a long time. I know a couple of months. Um, I'm getting a lot of your emails, a lot of your texts, a lot of your, your, your actually have a fact as well. And some of you guys are finding me on chat, finding me on Instagram, finding me on Instagram on Tumblr, finding me on Twitter, Facebook, what have you. What's going on? No, I wasn't arrested. <laughs> no, I wasn't deported. <laughs> I've just been dealing with this arm. It's, uh, it's, beginning, it's getting a lot better, uh, slowly but surely, taking one day at a time, not trying to push it. But it's really been a challenge for the last couple of months. And there were times where it was just really difficult to get on air. And I didn't really want to play any older episodes. Um, I really like talking to you guys. I like hearing from you guys. I like our little conversations. What I call them? Converse, right? Not the speaker, the talk. But yes, Super Bowl champions, people, New England Patriots, a great game. And it was really a great game. Look kind of bleak at the end, 
But it's kind of weird that what's happened to New England these last couple of Super Bowls, I think in 07 and 011, has come back to haunt Seattle. Um, I got to defend somebody in this whole groove. And, you know, today we're going to talk about the Patriots a little bit, education, Congo, a little bit of success, and Islam. Why is everybody all of a sudden so Islamophobic? Or is that just what the media shows? We have about 40 minutes left, so we're going to try to get as much as we can. We're going to be coming live and direct every Sunday at 6 o'clock. They'll be the converse. Have some guests lined up for our season. I believe this is season number six for us right now. My God, number six. I'm going to do. Uh, I'm gonna collect some DVDs and put them together so y'all can just uh, have your own collection and mail them off for free if you like. But also you can go through our, uh, our our page here on Blog Talk Radio. And also you can find me over – I always want to say that, right? You can also find me over there on uh, Tumblr. I like it's very I like the interface. It's very smooth, very cool, not overwhelming, anything like that. So a lot of our shows are posted there as well, as few, as, uh, along with a few other things, like such as our Congo movie piece. Um, we put up the first episode of Border Clash, Elysium, directed by Howard Simpson, written and produced by me. Uh, stars Mirella Thomas, Javon Johnson, uh, Tommy Cole Brownlee, half South African, by the way. <laughs> along with Japanese, and the the, the righteous, coolest one, uh, Koya Webb. So you can find that on our Tumblr. I also believe, well, I believe some time ago, Blog Talk used to have a a, a page where you can like upload um, videos and things like that. I got to find out what's going on with that, going on with that, see if it's still an option that they have. If not, definitely go over to Tumblr. You know my first name, last name, S-A-I-D, D as in David, I, B as in Bob, I, N as in Nancy, G-A. That's George, G-A, the bingo. And you can go past a few um, last past um, blog like episodes, but more importantly, just as importantly, we have our first episode of uh, Border Clash Elysium, fan film piece that we worked on some time ago uh, in reference to I didn't like how they were seating Storm and the X-Men and Howard Simpson gave me an idea about the fan film, which I never knew about. Once I found out what it was, you can create pro- you can create these short films on other people's characters, but you just can't sell them. I said, okay, that's nice, but I don't want to do a project where I'm making money for somebody else. I got from my own characters, so I call it a border clash because eventually it ends up Marvel characters versus my characters. But the story, the story um, involves uh, the, the apprehension of a mutant uh, down the south, down south. And the backstory actually has to do with Storm of the X-Men in terms of some things that she uh, is dealing with. Oh, I always wish I could write a Storm miniseries or a, a book on her or Panther or something like that. I think it would be nice to see something written by an actual African I know Storm's from upstate New York, Buffalo, and stuff like that. But, you know, she did grow up in Kenya, and I think it's very difficult to write from that perspective if you never grew up in that environment of growing up somewhere else outside of where you were born. And I never really see that. Even with uh, Black Panther, it's always written from, like, a Western point of view. There's really no nuance in there that's that's uh, specific or uh, attached to the culture. Come. Of course, it's fictional countries and things like that. But at the same time, you can put some a realistic touch in there. But anyway, coming back to New England, it was a great game. Tom Brady got number four. New England Pages got number four. Um, had he won 07 in uh, 2011, New England would have uh, seven uh, championships. People are arguing about is uh, Brady the best. You know, I think it's relative to, you know, the era people are playing in, you know. Um, some people go by championships. Some people still say uh, Peyton Manning still the best. Some people say Joe Montana is the best, whatever. But I think it's all relative. I don't really think – I'm not really into the greatest of all time. I mean, if you go to basketball, people talk about Jordan. But Bill Russell has, um, I think, what, 15, like 17 championship rings. So do you go by championships or do you go by MVPs? Do you go by trophies? So it's, it's those kind of things I think is really evident. I think it's really up to the beholder, and I think it's just up to what, what's the criteria. For me, I put Brady up there above anybody only because he's been consistent about it so long. And he's never had, like, a Jerry – I mean, well, he had Randy Moss, and that was thug life that year. I mean, they were, like, unbeatable. But at the same time, 
you know, he, you know, when he won the Super Bowl, he didn't have like all star receivers. He had people that worked hard. And oftentimes, people say you want to get the all star receiver, but sometimes it's the person that works hard up to the expectation and beyond that really delivers. Of course, we have the interception at the end by Malcolm Butler, which a lot of people didn't see coming. But here's the thing, and this goes on to what we were talking about before, is about preparation and success because they said during the practice session leading up when they ran down the scout team, Malcolm Butler got beat. Bill Belichick told him, don't, don't think about it, just play on it. Now, go watch the game, and this is what I'm going to defend Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks call. Go back to the game where Marshawn lives, and yes, people will say beast mode, beast mode, he has the ball, he got to give him the ball, let him run. But go back to the game where when they got down there after, I think, uh, Jermaine, Percy, whatever, caught the catch, whatever, and Marshawn ran, got like four or five yards, right? Look at the formation. You see Marshawn in the backfield. You see a receiver up top, uh, wide to uh, Wilson's left, and you see the stat formation at the bottom, the exact formation that they used again. And if you let that play run, you can see Malcolm kind of, he's going, he wants to play the ball, but he hesitates, but the receiver is pretty much wide open to get the touchdown. All right, now, of course, if, you know, things could change different, but it's the exact same play with Browner in front of Malcolm. So the thing what I'm seeing is that someone told Pete, look, I was open on that play. And someone said, let's use Marshawn as a distraction so we can get the touchdown. It's right there in front of you. I can see why. Now, people say, oh, why do you want to do that? Well, it's easy. Edelman, a couple of plays earlier, I think it was the third quarter, maybe the fourth quarter when they came back um, against Seattle. Number one defense, by the way, that they beat. All right, when they came back, there was a play where Elliman did an in and out and Brady overthrew him. Well, Elliman, down by the end zone, Elliman went back to the huddle and he told Brady, look, I can run this play. I'm wide open. Ran the play again, got the touchdown. So, hey, I understand why people are calling up Pete. Say, you have beast mode in the background. He can't get you one nine. I understand that. But they're playing goal line. So why you want to play, why you want to go at somebody's strength, whatever. At the same time, I, I, what would you do? You know? Now, conversely, or in addition, again, the, I think it was a good call, you know. I think it was a good. It was a good. I think it was just a better, a better play by Malcolm Butler, who reacted on instinct. The minute he saw the eyes going towards the receiver, ran towards the ball, caught it. And the thing for me is that it's not that he just caught it. He was knocked into the end zone and came back out because I think that could, I think that could have been ruled a safety because he had thrown to the end zone, or whatever. Now the thing that gets me is that this goes to success. You want to have a team around you that you trust. You want to have a team around you of people that you can have you have utmost confidence in. Because if you watch, they talk, they show the sideline footage where I think he's the cornerback coach. They're, they're both on the sideline, cornerback or linebacker. I think they're both standing there, secondary coaches. And they're saying, hey, so and so come out, Malcolm go in, Malcolm go in. I don't believe they talked to Belichick. They made the call right there and then. Malcolm go in. This is that Malcolm actually almost knocked the pass out, out of uh, out of a uh, Curtis Tan much earlier. So, you know, Malcolm made a play. Just a freak of nature, the ball landed in Kersey's legs. So he calls Malcolm. Malcolm uh, back in, back in, goes in, the rest is history. Now, I like how Malcolm got a parade down in Vicksburg, like in the hometown. That was really nice, showing the love, got the key to the city. But the thing for me is, again, oh, yeah, for me is that it shows preparation when, you, when you're ready. It shows you don't overthink something, you play against it. People will say, well, how come Belgium didn't call a timeout? Because Belgium was probably putting pressure on Pete, on Pete Carroll to make a decision. All right? So the thing for me, again, is it comes back to teamwork. Do you have people around you that you can trust? Do you have people around you that's really down with you? That's how I look at the Patriots stuff. Everybody was working together. Everybody was focused. What happens today, you have like a team of five people, and everybody's focused on something different. It's usually their own agenda. It has nothing to do with the vision. It has nothing to do with the overall, the overall scheme of things. It's their own agenda. So the thing is, who is around you? Who is, uh, who is part of your team? Now, is the team sharing in your vision, 
or they're just sharing the journey so they can achieve their vision, and then once they get it, they drop you to go with someone else's vision or someone tries to help their vision. That's something I always look at when I watch these games. It's not really just about the wins and losses. Yes, I'm happy New England won the Super Bowl. I'm very happy about that. Now, it's a drive for five, get one for the thumb. But at the same time, it's a team game. And just the speeches, i got to find the clips. of Maybe we'll do a next show where Belichick is on the sideline. Coach Belichick is talking to the defense. And he's like, look, man, there's no trick plays. We went over this before. This is what you're doing wrong. Just everybody do your job. All right? Do, you know, this is what we need to do. This is what's been happening. This is the problem. There's no trick plays. There's nothing new here. There's no new schemes. Just do your job. All right? It was very impassionate. And Darrell Revis is there. Now, you know, you know, I know how Revis can get down. He ain't trying to listen to nobody if they're not going to help him. But he stood there. He's listening as well. He got his ring, crying. And then, you know, he was crying as well. very emotional for a lot of people. Ron Kyle, he got his. But the thing is, those speeches, hey, do your job. That's what people need to do. I'm not going to try to do your job. Don't try to do my job. Do your job. I do my job when we get to the promised land together. And I think that's the only way most people can achieve success. But what happens today, most people try to do other people's job. You know, if I hire you to do some artwork, then why am I going to micromanage you to do the artwork? You see that in education today. We'll talk about that in our next in our next uh, piece here because I definitely want to talk about the Patriots, uh, education, Congo success, and, again, the Islamophobic that's, phobia that's going around these days. So for me, congratulations to the Patriots. I'm glad, you know, they brought the trophies. You know, again, I haven't yet to ever see uh, a duck boat parade. You know, pray for I'll see one next year. And, you know, and they go to the drive for five. But people, it's a team. You know, he was draft six round. People overlooked him. I'm sure you're feeling overlooked. I'm sure you're feeling unappreciated. I'm sure you're feeling taken for granted. I'm sure you just want that opportunity like Mr. T wanted in Rocket 3. He's like, hey, I'm ranked number one. Just give me an opportunity. Give me a shot like someone gave you a shot. That's what you're waiting for, right? I'm sure that's what you're waiting for. And if you're not waiting for that, you know someone that is waiting for that. Well, you know, the thing for them is, my advice is, or my suggestion is, stay focused on what you want to do, look at the team around you, and move forward. Whoever's not down, get rid of them. They're going to get rid of you, so get rid of them. It's not about, oh, I've known for 10 years, oh, they're my friend. Oh, no, 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 no. You only have one purpose on this life, and that's to leave this life, you know, with a footprint that you were here, and people said, my God, that's what that person did. So, again, let's hear it one more time for New England Patriots. Oh, I know you guys want to hear that call one more time, and then we'll take a break after this cut and come back and talk about some more business. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent out of West Alabama. They try to pick play, Al. They tried to go here, but he beats them to the punch. And I'm sorry. But I can't believe the call. Me neither. I cannot believe the call. You've got Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. I can't believe the call.
go for some, for some baby powder, put on the floor, I'll do little moves here, but I don't want to hurt my leg, get injured again, then I'm out for like another two months doing another leg injury, right? All right, people, let's get down to some some business here as usual, uh, some critical match, some critical, get into a critical match here, and it has to do with U.S. education. You know, I teach out here in L.A. You know, I talk to a lot of teachers. I've been teaching for a long time, a lot of teachers in my family. You know, I've had my comments about education, but people, let me tell you, the Titanic is sinking slowly. Let's do a little lead-in intro here, um, a little clip here we have on uh, the, the U. I think we've ABC did news this some time ago, and uh, give a little comments to what they have to say about uh, a wake call for U.S. education. Of 1.3 billion people competing for the American dream. Today, the new international reading, math, and science scores were released, and Chinese students left American teens in the dust in all three categories. We kept thinking all day of this scene we saw from our journey in China. These are third grade students pausing to massage their heads for relief because they said they study so hard and they need to relax in the third grade. David Muir and I were talking about it. We traveled to China together. David. And Diane, these numbers are stunning for the entire world. The Shanghai stunner, you could call it. In fact, our own education secretary called the results, the words that Diane used, a wake-up call. Our president is calling for a modern-day Sputnik moment to catch up. Tonight's new numbers reveal what Diane and I just witnessed a couple of weeks back in China. Nearly 500,000 15-year-olds from all over the world took the test. The top five scores in math, Shanghai, China, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, and Taiwan. And way down the list in 30th, the U.S. In science, again, Shanghai, China at the top. Then Finland, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Japan. And down at 20th, the U.S. And in reading, Shanghai, China again, and the others. And down at 17th, the U.S. In our travels to China, it was everywhere, that laser focus on education. This public school in Shanghai, where the children were two years old. By three, they're at school from eight until four, already learning phrases in English. And the older kids wondered from Diane if the reverse was true back here in the U.S. Can you speak Chinese? No, I can say ni hao. On average, Chinese students attend 41 more days of school every year. And with some attending classes on the weekends, it amounts to 30% more hours of instruction every year, too. China, and now much of Asia, firmly sees a future beyond those factories. Nobody wants to be the shoe manufacturer of the world. Everybody wants to be in the scientific and technical sector. It's a global turning point the U.S. has faced before. 1960, then-candidate John F. Kennedy, frustrated that the Soviets at that moment seemed to be winning the space race. The first vehicle in space was called Sputnik, not Vanguard. Money was poured into math and science. Less than a decade later, we put a man on the moon. With these test scores, now a new call from this president. Fifty years later, our generation's Sputnik moment is back. And it's not just Asia. Finland, too. Diane discovered that firsthand last year, learning that every elementary school teacher there must have a master's. Half of American teachers do. And by the seventh grade, every Finnish child will have learned three languages. They start physics and chemistry in middle school. Physics and chemistry in middle school. And one other number we were stunned to learn about today comes from a new Stanford study that found if American students were able to raise their performance on this international test by just about 5%, it would translate into $41 trillion in the U.S. economy over just the next 20 years, Diane. Just a 5% increase in how we do. We did it before. We can do it again. Yeah, before we can do it again. It won't be no time soon, though, because the way education is going, there's too much of a have and have not, and it's more the... Uh, it's not the rich and poor. It's about the uh, 
we have, and I don't, you know, I know what I have, and I know what you don't have, but you don't seem to care about what you don't have. And I say that in this way to me that, yeah, I'm sorry, people. Um, there is the, the divide in education, particularly here, is, is outstanding. People are, are astonishing, not outstanding. You know, if you want to look at Finland and say, well, you know, they both there's Anglo or European, whatever it may be, but that's not the case because in neighboring countries, um, uh, Finland, the education system is like, well, either, and they're about like 99.99.99999, you know, uh, European, you know, um, Norway, Greenland, whatever it may be. But the way things are going, so the argument that people, uh, well, you know, they don't have to do the same issues because they both are the same people, that's not true. Also, you notice the attainment, you have to have a master's to be a teacher. And in the uh, United States, pretty much a lot of people, only half um, of the teaching people have the master's. And oftentimes, people that do go for master's don't really stay in education unless, as a teacher, it may be as an admin or what have you. But I'm sorry, too many people are turning a blind eye to the state of education right now, and I can see the future of America, and it's frightening. You have 11th graders that don't know what the word dwelling means, don't know what the word trespassory means, don't know what a yacht is. You, you have other 11th graders or, you know, upperclassmen who, when you give them stuff to read, they don't know what to read. If they, if some can't read, and I know for a fact, it's because they're being taught to read the word but not understand the word. I have a cool student named Cora Fistry who every day now she puts up a word of the day. And these are words that people don't, you don't really see often, but she puts them on the wall, and people haven't asked about, hey, what's that word? What does this mean? And my underclassmen are, like, writing it on a piece of paper and stuff like that. And it's little stuff like that which goes a long way. But for the most part, our kids are behind. They don't get the SAT prep they need. They don't get the English vocab they need to have. They understand the English writing they need to have. They don't. It's just about testing on math and English. Can they solve these problems, and can they read this book? But when you ask them again, what's this book mean? What's this story about? Can you articulate the story? Can you articulate the background? What was the, what was the gist? What was the spin? Of what was happening, a lot of a lot of kids they look at you like you're crazy. Now the funny thing about it is that when you have teachers who are really passionate about teaching, because teaching is a calling. It's not something you know. Some people try to make it to a job, and that's true. But for the most part, it's a calling. You want to stand in that room and try to educate people, help them out, and get them to the same road, and make them realize their greatness. But what's happening these days is that a lot of students are so babied, and I mean they're so babied and coddled like little pets and whatnot, is that when times are good. Oh, everything's fine. When they're passing and doing well, oh, everything's fine. They're joking. They come to class. They come bouncing around. The minute they start failing and adversity starts hitting, you see death row come out of their personality. In fact, you see how they really are, and that happens a lot. So what ha- So when you, ta- when you have a scenario like that, and this, this is coming from a conversation I have with my fellow teachers about, 15, uh, about two days ago at a meeting uh, somewhere in, uh, in Hollywood at, a, at a, a sidebar at a conference, what have you, and we all talk about the same thing, is that, they're so focused on, you know, get, getting accredited, that's understandable. So focused on making sure you follow the Common Core, you know, Common Core, which seven states are suing to get out because it doesn't do anything. I mean, Common Core is one of the biggest jokes that ever happened lately. Common Core is just what teachers do in the classroom anyway. Let teachers teach. If you're not sure about how they teach, find teachers you can trust and let them do their thing. But when you try to legislate how you teach a classroom, when you start saying, well, when some person says we need to do this to have some, some standards, well, it doesn't really work because already at the beginning, most of the states are at different levels of education anyways. So now you want to come in and say, oh, it has to be Common Core related. Oh, it has to fit the form of Common Core. Oh, it has to be the, the, the agenda of Common Core. No, it doesn't really work that way. What has to happen is that you have to have a foundation going back to middle school. Literally, a middle school, this is how you write. This is how you read. This is how you speak. This is how you articulate your thoughts. This is how you articulate what you want to do. This is how you comprehend. Too many kids don't do it. And another problem is that you have too many people upstairs too many admins up there are babying the, the kids. 
You know, if something doesn't go right, they go running to them and say, oh, my God, they, you know, she's killing us with too much work or they're, they're too much homework or, or too many tasks, whatever. And then they go speak to the teacher. It's like, no, 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 China. I taught some Chinese students from China this past semester, uh, past summer Pomona. And I had some of my kids in there from here, Maria and them. You know, with UBL was doing very well. But for the most part, the Chinese students, and this is comparing this to them. I'm just going by my own experience this past summer, teaching two classes, uh, English and world history. It was a summer session for about four weeks. It was a great program. I enjoyed it. I love teaching China one of these days, see the kids, hang out with them. I miss them. They're so cool. But what I noticed is that the, the kids coming out, I thought they were in high school. No, they were coming out of middle school, but they were rocking quadratic functions. Our kids that were there, they couldn't even do fractions. It was, it was astonishing. So my friends passed my worksheets to the kids. He's like, okay, I want you guys to work on this. It'll be a, a, a quadratic function. The Chinese kids get it done in about two minutes, and then the, the, the Americans are still working on it. So when they finally exchange the papers, the results are, what do you expect? Chinese kids do very well. American kids don't do so well. Now, what's happening is that there has to be there's a critical agenda when it comes to education in terms of how serious it is taken. People say all they do is test in China, all they do is test in China, all they do is test in China. That may be so. But isn't that what America is doing right now? Testing, 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 testing. That's nice, but if you don't teach the kid how to think, it, it, no, no test means nothing because all they're going to do is regurgitate what they wrote. I, I see this all the time. You have a deaf, you give a, you give a bright student, what the, uh, here's a sheet of paper, here's the word, here's the definition. So read the definition, read the definition, read the definition, read the definition, and then when you ask the kid, okay, what is the meaning of this word? They'll write down the exact definition they, they read, correct? Then you ask them, explain to me that definition, can't do it. There's not a teacher out there that has not been to that situation, if they haven't, they're going to eventually. And if I'm so sure about that, I'm going to say it twice. There, you, you give them something to read. They look at the definition. They write the definition, write the definition. They'll never ask you, for the most part, ask you what the word means in the definition. They'll never say, look, I can't comprehend what this word means in the definition. They'll never say, I don't really understand the definition itself. They'll write it down, write it down. They'll pass it to their friend who's just the same level as they are and say, okay, we understand, we understand, we understand. Then you give them a test. What's this? Give me an example. They can't do it. And then what happens you get frustrated because you know they can do it. They get frustrated because they don't want to do what's necessary to be able to do it. And now you have, a, you, have, you, you, have, you have friction in the classroom. You have friction on the campus. And what they'll do is they'll dog. You know, and all my teachers know this. When you get dogged by the students, right? Well, education needs to be dogging our students to the point, not in, in, in a negative way. They need to do things in a way like, look, it's your responsibility to get this done because you're going off to higher education or you're going off to the workforce, and they don't accept second best there. So my last, I'm going to conclude this by making, you know, keeping this short, because I'll probably do a special on this. Is right now the state of education, education is pitiful. LAUSD just said that they're going to cancel the program where they would give, they want to give a laptop to every um, student, teacher, and administrator in the LAUSD system, which I think is the second biggest in the country. You're talking 642,000 people. But what the problem was, they ordered the first batch of 100,000 tablets. They didn't realize that the kids knew tech, and they figured out how to go on the security platforms and go on the web freely because they put up blogs, not to get on Facebook and you know, social media and things like that. So right now, things don't change. If things don't turn, there's a reason why teaching has the highest turnover among a lot of industries, a lot of professions, because you get burnt out trying to teach, and you have a system trying to tell you how to teach, but the system doesn't come in your classroom. The system doesn't know anything about the kids they're talking about. It just says, hey, let's do Common Core. So, okay, that's nice. So now everybody wants to look good. Yes, the, the, the what do you call it, the uh, lesson plans in Common Core format. Yes, there's Common Core on the wall. Yes, there has to be a word wall. So when they walk in, they can look on the wall and see that where you have the grades. They know it's the grades. So you have the word grades above it, like it's middle school or something like that. I mean, come on, man. And then you teach these other countries. You teach these other kids. You teach other schools. They're so advanced. It's not funny. 
And it's because why? There's a gun to their head saying this is important not to you, but to the family, and in some places in terms of it's important to the country. But over here it's kind of like school's an option, you know, I'll show up when I can get there. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm stuck in traffic. You don't even drive. I woke up late, so you come late every morning and you fell in the class, but you don't seem to care. And then they want to come and say, look, you have to have a certain amount of people pass your class, we're going to replace you. Once again, everything is put on the teacher Nothing is put on the student, and when the student goes up to college or higher education or into the work, you know, into the university and college, or goes up to the workforce, can't function. Anybody that has had their eyes open to the reality can vouch for that, and it's true. So U.S. education has to turn around because people are coming from abroad realizing the Americans have the best higher education system here when it comes to college university, and then a lot of them are going back to rebuild their country. Look at China. China had nothing back in the day. Now look at them. I'm not saying what they're doing is righteous, but now look at them. So that note, let me keep it. Let me let me let me wrap it up there on that on that topic. We're definitely going to do a special on this. I'd like to get some of my teachers on the air, and we can talk more about this and then see what's going on. So let's take a little commercial break here, have some fun, and otherwise, what can we say? Education is important, and if the kids don't find out now. They'll find out later. But people, I have seen the future of America. They're sitting in my classroom, and they're sitting in a whole lot of classrooms, and we have to change this paradigm. Otherwise, it's just it's just it's just going to be it's it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge, and it's not going to get any better. It'll just get worse. dramatic, nice and dramatic, just the way I like things, people, nice and dramatic. People, let's come to our next piece here. Doing what that was, that's Into the, that's the movie Into the Storm. The song is called Fate. Go check it out. Again, the movie called Into the Storm. The song, song is called uh, Fate. Uh, some people were asking about our early intermission cut. That's a, that was a break for love, the bass line instrumental. Doom, 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 doom. Let's get on to Congo, people. As you all know, I was born and raised in the Congo, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I grew up in Congo, Zaire, grew up in Boston, all that good stuff. Now I'm in California. I don't know how long. And things have not been, um, things have been a little dicey there, but let me give a little deduction here in terms of a clip from BBC talking to the Rwandan rebels in DRC. These men are members of the Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Rwanda a rebellion against which the Congolese army and the United Nations have declared war. In the hills that border their country, they're at home. They've been in the DRC for 20 years, since the end of the Rwandan genocide, in which some of them are accused of taking part. Today, they say they've given up the armed struggle, and that all they want is a dialogue with Rwanda. War has been declared against us, but you see our weapons are still here. If we were not sincere, we would be using these arms, but you see they're here. If you've really disarmed and you're planning on not using these weapons, why not destroy them or hand them over to the international community? 
We were following a process to hand over these weapons. Unfortunately, it's just been interrupted by the declaration of war. But it was our intention to surrender all of our weapons and fighters to the international community. But locals say the rebels still patrol the area with their weapons, and that they do so under the nose of the Congolese army. The big offensive was officially launched days ago, and it should be happening in places like these, which are under FDLR control. But here, everything's calm, life is very much going on as usual, and we've seen no reinforcement of army presence in the zone. In a military base nearby, nothing much is happening. Government soldiers are killing time, drinking glass after glass of locally brewed alcohol. The commander tells me that he heard about an offensive against the FDLR on the radio, but that his superiors have given him no order to attack. The Congolese army and the FDLR have collaborated in the past against armed groups supported by the Rwandan government. And a local policeman told me that the national security forces in the FDLR still work together. We exchanged security information. Yesterday, there was a hijacking in the area, and the police, the army, and the FDLR joined forces to investigate the incident. On a social level, we spend a lot of time together. We eat and drink together. The UN, meanwhile, has already positioned soldiers for an offensive. But the peacekeeping troops can only intervene in support of the Congolese army, which has been dragging its feet for months. There's also great concern for the thousands of families who live with the FDLR. A previous offensive against the group in 2009 killed over 1,000 civilians and forced nearly 900,000 to flee their homes. In Bueru, Maud Julian, BBC News. Let me ask you this question, right? <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. How many conferences has there been in Congo? How many shows have I done here? How many shows have my friends done? How many panels have we spoken on? My friends have been you know, around the world. How many interviews have they been done? How many surveys have been done? How many research have been done? How many? And this, the killing keeps going on. The exploitation keeps continuing on. You know why? Because most people don't give a damn about DRC. They don't because it's over there. It's not here. You know, there's no attachment. People say, we have other problems. But when you have a mass, people are getting murdered, FDLR. They've been there. First off, if you look at the reports, people are saying that FDLR has been, like, you know, exporting it back to, you know, Rwanda. There's like only 100 left. But if you do the numbers, talk about how many have left to go back to Rwanda, how there's still about like 2,000 plus there. And if it's only 2,000 plus, you know what you do? Walk in, annihilate them, call the day. That's it. You have a choice. Surrender now, go back to Rwanda, or kill them there. I'm going to say it right here. I don't care if you unfollow my show. I'm telling you because it's getting ridiculous. The Americans are putting drones all over Pakistan, along the tribal borders, whatever. And we're over here doing offensive after offensive after offensive. I'm sick of this. Kirkland don't give a damn. He just cares about him and his little big-headed, you know, him and his little people around him, right? I'm going to say something else. I had to watch myself. He don't care. He just wants to make himself look good, silence the, the, the voice of opposition in Rwanda, and keep exploiting Congo. The only reason Rwanda looks the way it is right now is because of Congo. He knows it. Every Rwandan and Kigali, and Kigali knows that, and every Congolese knows this. That's the only reason why. And we seem to have this short-term memory of, of forgetting what the Rwandans and the Ugandans did to us when they invaded us, when they were annihilating, people, annihilating our people in Kisangani. But here we are. Now it's going to be an offensive. UN says get rid of those two generals out there in the east, those two bitches who's out there killing people and involved in human rights violation, and what happened? 
I can't remember what their name is, but I think they're from Rwanda. I can't remember the name, whatever. But the problem is that, come on, man. This is this is dumb. Another offensive? Send in the entire 10th Brigade. Go up to the place and say, hand them over. Throw them in jail. Kill them or send them back to Rwanda. And then move forward. It's embarrassing. Now we have people talk. You know, now people are saying that President Kabila says he's going to step down. And we haven't heard no proclamation, but now people are going to step down. And then what's going to happen? Who's going to run? Jesse K is going to run. There'll be more war in the country. It's, it's a bigger joke, man. People had their chance in Congo right now to put themselves up with Lumumba if they did what they had to do. The Chinese come in, they want to enrich themselves with Chinese money and all this kind of stuff, whatever. People voting, voting salary, salary increases for themselves and what have you. Making sure they get paid. Making sure they get their cut. Because they're thinking the short term. And what happens, the rest of the country has to suffer. Congolese abroad has to suffer. Because it's not a Congolese in this planet that shouldn't be working outside the country unless they want to because the country's so rich, we could all go back there and pretty much retire millionaires like it was back in the day. But no. We have to deal with this, oh, it's the offensive against the FDLR. Screw the FDLR. Go in there like the Romans and burn them to the ground and call it a day. And then you say over to Rwanda, you say a message to Mosevani, you owe us some money, and we have some things to resolve right here. And we can start off by handing over Nkunda. Hand them over, or we'll come and get them. Mobutu would have did it back in the day. But ever since thing has went down lately, it's just been a joke, a joke. How many of us more have to die, rape, and get murdered? How many more panels? The only reason why I'm doing my Congo film is to show what happened in our country. That's it. It's to show what happened in our country. Because the Rwandans, particularly those guys, always want to run around saying, oh, the genocide, oh, the genocide. You should see what they did in our country. Come on, man. I'm not even going to go along with this segment because I can feel myself climbing to the mountain in the crescendo. We're going to see what's going to happen in 2016, and I think what's going to happen in 2016 is more what we saw in the past. We're going to see fighting breaking out, borderline civil war, ethnic killing, ethnic cleansing, Rwanda's ticking the nose again, and people say we're going to prevent an offensive against FDLR. It's a joke. There needs to be a Maximus from Gladiator in Rome or Julius Caesar or somebody that says we need to do what's best for the country and for the glory of Congo, DRC, not what for the glory of myself and for everybody else. This, this nonsense is just... It just gets me, man. It just, it just, really, it just gets me, because it's so pathetic. It doesn't have to be like this. And now we have so many people. We get on TV, we get online, we do all these things, we talk about it, but nothing really changes back home because you can't change the country from outside. You can only change the country from within. So we abroad, including myself and everybody else, with the film and speaking and things like that, we need to do. We need to physically outright support the people back home in what they're doing so that we can, so they can know that we're, we're standing with them. Because right now the thinking, and I talked to a few of my people back home, is that right now the thinking is that we have, a, they have been forgotten. You know, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking they have been forgotten. They're like, where are all these Congolese who are abroad? How come they're not here with us? What are they doing? What are we doing? Where, where are they? They're looking and they're getting slaughtered. And we're over here, we're having our meetings and talking about nothing, and we want to feel good, sitting at a table and all those kind of things and blah, blah. Oh, come on, man. It's a joke. It's just a joke. You know, I don't really speak at conferences anymore. I just want to do the Congo film and, you know, support what uh, uh, uh is doing back home with, the, with GMF, that school. Those are the kind of initiatives that we need to be supporting more of. Those are the kind of initiatives that we need to be more a part of. You know what I mean? 
Those are things we have to be doing. Those are the things we have to be supporting. Building schools, using our resources. We shouldn't be doing no fundraising for, for you know for anything that we want to do. Are you like like seriously? We're, we're not like Namibia, like you know, it was like a desert. No, we have what we need to do what we need to do. So why are we even pleading or anything like that, man? Come on, it's just it's just a, it's a joke, man. It's just a joke. So I'm just going to wrap it up right there and say, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen with this next offensive. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen next year with, you know, once again, it's going to be, you know, he steps down, then what? And, you know, I'm going to tell you right now, everybody's counting on civil war breaking out. Everybody's counting. And that why? Because in the midst of conflict, that's when people want to exploit the country. That's what happens. That's what happens, people. So I mean, we can only do what we can do. We have to find a new way. Because like that, like that scene where Maximus is about to go to the Colosseum to fight Tigris uh, of Gaul, he says, he says to Proximo, Marcus Aurelius had a vision of Rome. This is not it. This is not it. Well, you know what? Exactly. Lumumba and all those people from back in the day, the, the people who have been, who, whose names have been lost in history for the battle of independence in our country. And that goes from those who were like prominent to those who are on the ground and the level, on the ground level doing what they had to do. The Congo that is here that we are seeing is not the Congo that our ancestors fought for. It is not the Congo that we got our independence for. It's not. This is not it. It is not it. So we have to change this. Running out of time here. Do I have the time to talk about, you know, the 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 the, uh, the hatred towards Islam now, the rapid Islam, uh, Islamophobia that I'm seeing right now? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to devote a segment to it. Maybe I can get some of my friends to talk on it. We can get their point of view as well. But let me tell you right now, it almost reminds me of 9-11. Everybody was cool with the Muslims and stuff like that. So 9-11 came down, and if you were a Sikh, they thought you were Muslim. They wanted to, you know, uh, harass you and things like that. We have to change these things. But we'll say that for another show. People, we are now at our end here. Thank you for tuning in. Hope all is going well. Hope everything's flowing with you guys and everything is, is being chill and you're doing great things out there. Remember, find a team around you. Follow your dreams. Follow your goals. Follow your heart. Stay with people who believe in you. Stay with people who want to ride with you on your vision. Stay with you. Say with people who are going to talk to you on the real and say when you're wrong. They'll tell when you're wrong, not just when you're right. They'll tell when you have to change things, not just when you have to stop things. Find those kind of people. You're only on this planet for a certain amount of time, and then you leave this place. So what are people going to say about you when it's over? Me, I want people to say, hey, look, man, this guy just wants to liberate his people at all costs and elevate people to let them know that they have to make a difference. What is your purpose? All right. We'll talk about another time. People, sorry you can't sit to bring it live and direct from coming from L.A. That was filed to the Oscars. I believe J.K. Simmons won Best Supporting Actor. Um, I don't know what camera the film was in, but congratulations, you know, Simmons, J.K. Simmons. I think you know, he's come a long way. Law and Order, Spider-Man, playing James Jonah Jensen. Jameson, that's good. So congratulations to him. I believe Ida won Best Foreign Language Film. We'll talk about more. And, yes, we will definitely do a show about the diversity in Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, Psyche Cast in the Finger, live and direct from LA. People, I am gone. Peace out.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 